Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Welcome back, truth speakers and light seekers. You are listening to The Know, where it's not about knowing everything. It's about getting to know ourselves and our deepest senses of inner knowing. I'm your hostess, Nikki Spo, and I am so happy you're tuning in today because we have a very powerful message in store for everyone. I want to give a quick TW trigger warning. We discuss sexual abuse in this episode, so please check in with yourself before listening in. I think it's really important that we have these conversations and highlight experiences like those of today's guest, Sarah Klein. I know that if I had not heard my friend and my first ever podcast guest and Florida Senator, Lauren Book's testimony, I might not have ever reached a road of recovery and healing of my own. So today we are going to hear from Sarah Klein who is using her set of unique life experiences to help heal and bring justice. The first known survivor of former Olympic women's gymnastics, Dr. Larry Nasser, Sarah Klein is now a powerhouse difference maker for survivors of sexual abuse. Klein is a nationally renowned attorney who has made it her life's work to stop child sexual abuse altogether, and that involves canceling the culture that allows perpetrators and the institutions that enable them to act with impunity. She brings the fight to criminal and civil courts as an attorney to politics as an advocate for the extension of the statute of limitations for sexual abuse victims and to the population at large as a speaker and podcast host. Klein is a civil and trial attorney at Manley, Stewart & Finaldi, the nation's leading firm representing victims of sexual abuse. The firm has successfully recovered more than $3 billion for its clients through jury verdicts and settlements. Recent notable cases include USA Gymnastics, University of Southern California, University of California, Los Angeles, and University of Michigan. She is a fierce advocate for legal, cultural, and political change, actively spearheading the fight to extend the statute of limitations for abuse survivors across all 50 states. She regularly testifies in front of state legislative bodies and was among the small group of key and notable people invited to the Child Victims Act bill signing in New York. I have goosebumps. At the 2018 ESPY Awards, Sarah accepted the Arthur Ashe Courage Award on behalf of herself and the hundreds of other survivors who spoke out and testified about Nasser's abuse. Soon thereafter, Katherine Schwarzenegger profiled Klein in her New York Times bestseller, The Gift of Forgiveness. Most recently, Sarah appeared alongside her clients in the number one Netflix series, Cheer, season two, episode five, bringing the topic of sexual abuse to the forefront of the series. Sarah has become a leading voice on sexual abuse and other legal issues on television, radio, and in print media, including ESPN, NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, NPR, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and USA Today. Klein has delivered over 100 keynotes across the country and is grateful for the opportunity to share her experience and story in the hopes of a better and safer tomorrow. Her weekly podcast, Bar Fights, Taking on Issues That Matter, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Audacity, and Stitcher. You guys, I feel so honored to host Sarah today. This topic hits close to home for me, and if you feel it may do so for you as well, please take pause when needed. I'm so grateful to be in a position to bring hope to our listeners through Sarah's experience, and not just that, as a parent, as a former educator, I think it's so important, even if it's uncomfortable, that we parents know what signs to look out for in protecting our children, red flags to be aware of, 
and Sarah and I are going to get into all of that. So with that, let's get started for our powerhouse mover, shaker, survivor, and advocate, Sarah Klein. Sarah, welcome to The Know, where it's not about knowing everything. It's about coming to know ourselves. And I think both of us have been in a position to sort of have a reckoning within ourselves when it comes to speaking up about our truths, despite our fear of judgment, misinterpretation, shame. I mean, the list goes on. So first and foremost, I want to honor you and your courage. And thank you for taking the time to be here and share your journey with my audience and for my guests. Um, I usually know for most of my guests, I usually know where to start, but there's like just so much to unpack here that I kind of want to lob this up to you to start where you want to. Obviously, like the elephant or not really anymore in the room is that you are a survivor of sexual abuse and not just that, but were instrumental in bringing light to the abuse that was going on within the women's Michigan State and U.S. Olympic gymnastics team at the hands of former team doctor Larry Nasser. So what was it like for you to come forward? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Nikki. Um, you know, coming forward wasn't exactly something I had thought through and planned. It was something where I'm in my mid to late 30s. A couple other of my teammates come forward. Um, and I hadn't even in my head come to terms with what I thought was medical treatment was actually sexual abuse. And I think the conversation of grooming, you know, my daughter's almost eight years old. I look at her little body and I was eight when this started for me. And she is so innocent and such a little girl in a little body that I think it's important for people to know the mind of a child isn't necessarily going to raise their hand and go, well, this person that, you know, I trust sexually abused me on this day at this time. And what like you don't even know barely how to tie your shoes, <laughs> you know, much less identify red flags and bring it to an adult's attention. So coming forward sort of got thrust upon me um, when when Nasser was first um, exposed, and then it was a decision whether to come forward publicly or not. Right, um, and that was sort of a totally different set of considerations to think about. So when we talk about grooming, you know, you hear a lot about this, like, what is that? Like, I feel like I have my own idea of, of what it is. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important that especially like a lot of my listeners, a lot of my audience are, were parents, you know what I mean? And um, I, I think it's really important that we get co not comfortable because it's, I, I think that no matter what you do and no matter how you think about it, it's uncomfortable, but we need to come to terms with the reality of this and educate ourselves and our children um, about how, how to handle these situations. Um, so, I mean, just on a very, very preliminary level, like what is grooming? I think it's a misconception that sexual abuse occurs in a dark alley with a scary man coming out of a white van wearing a black cape. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oftentimes, most of the time, Sexual abuse occurs with someone that is known, trusted, loved um, within the family, within the community. And so that person creates a bond, creates a trust with, um, with the child and has access to the child um, oftentimes because the parents allow it. My mom would say today, but it, she sat there back then thinking that's 
somebody who wouldn't hurt a fly. He's the yeah. nicest, nerdiest, kindest, right? So the grooming starts with that building of trust um, and and really showing themselves to be a good, trustworthy person. A lot of times that person is putting extra attention into your child. So when you think about the teachers and at school, the coaches, you know, hey, can Johnny stay after all the other kids go home? He's such a great track runner. I want to teach him even more. I want to help him get to the next level, right? When that adult is taking a special interest in your child above and beyond, that's a big red flag also. Um, and so... Um, grooming also makes the child feel special. Sometimes there are gifts. Um, there are, you know, taking them to do special activities, making them feel like they are that special one. And, and, um, that's what makes it even more confusing to the child because you think that's love in the mind of a child. You think that person loves you. So this is like very triggering for me. And so you know, on, on like so many levels and, and I'm okay talking about it now, but it's, it's just crazy. Like when you bring up these specific things, I'm like, Oh, right. Like, I'm like, Oh, I don't like that feeling when I think about this or recall certain things. And so you didn't come forward until you mentioned in in your thirties. Yeah. This was going on in your childhood. This went on from age eight until the last time I saw him when I was 25 years old, an Ivy league graduate, a first year law student. And still going back to the office of my dear friend who I loved and trusted, who had become a mentor to me. And he said, Sarah, throw on a pair of loose shorts. I'm going to treat you. And that included manipulation of my lower back, which seemed really medical. And then the digital penetration of then an adult woman. And in my brain, because I had been groomed since eight years old, I still thought that was medical treatment. I still thought he loved me. I still thought he was my best friend and mentor. So if that could happen to me, a lot of people go, wait, is she dumb? Is she stupid? How could she not know? And I share that. It used to bring me great shame to share that and embarrassment, but I share it because if it could happen to me, it truly, that grooming gets you so confused. It can truly happen to anyone. It's crazy because like, I remember growing up and thinking like I made it up in my whole head. Yeah. I just I made the whole thing up. I was like, nope, I made it up. That was a weird dream. That didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and and I, I want to talk about levels too of severity because I, I had a, a really great conversation with a trauma psychologist about like levels of sexual abuse and how it affects people and that really your recovery has nothing to do with like this level of severity, yeah. but on how you are treated when you come forward and whether you're whether or not you're believed. But before that, I'm like, I'm thinking I didn't I didn't really acknowledge even within myself my own experience with sexual abuse until I was 27. And that was the first time I had a recollection. And I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Florida Senator Lauren Book. Totally. Um, but that. she had invited me. She was the first ever guest on on any of my she was my first ever guest of the note. Yeah. It was because she invited me to speak. I mean, not to speak. She invited me to volunteer um, with her in Tampa at like a women's halfway house type type space where they were like fleeing domestic violence situations. And I heard her tell her story. And on my entire drive home from Tampa, I was just in tears. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. Like, I did not make make that up. Like, this is not in my head. Like, this happened to me. 
And like, I don't publicly discuss like the specifics of like what happened. But I will say that like my experience is pretty low on a perceived spectrum of severity, right? And I think it's important to talk about because it's like you said, it's not always happening like in a van with a guy in a cloak who's like take snatching your child and and taking them into the car and doing this like a whole event. And like while those things happen too, it can also happen in a more insidious type of way. And it's not always going to be penetration. And it's not always going to be like what you think about when you hear this, like all the, the the public stories that we have access to, you know, and I think the people that have those less severe experiences, they don't feel comfortable coming forward because they're like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. That comparison, right? Like yeah. what happened to her was so much worse. And I always right. think like it, it has so much less to do for me, at least speaking personally of the physical act of what happened. Yeah. As it was that breach of trust that yeah. of a loving relationship, that confusion, that gaslighting. You're like, maybe it was, maybe I did something. Maybe if I would have said something sooner, you know, then these other girls would have been, right? Like, but it's that, it's that mind game. Mind fuck. I was going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that mind fuck that does the damage where you then go into adult life with this wound where you're questioning yourself all the time. And that to me has been the biggest burden to bear more than penetration or non-penetration. I question myself. I carry shame. I'm confused about who to trust. Is my judgment good? Is it bad? Is it up? Who even am I? Because when you experience childhood trauma, you often don't even get the opportunity to develop a sense of self. Your sense of self is taken away from you before you even get those two little feet solidly on the ground. And so you're an adult. I found myself in adult life totally discombobulated. I had a hard time leaving my house. I was anxious going to Rite Aid. And it, I had medical problems. I had autoimmune, like all this stuff, but I couldn't put these pieces together, yeah, you know, and, and just withdrawing, withdrawing depression, anxiety, and until sort of really reconciling what happened and what that means. Um, I couldn't even start to develop a sense of self really until my forties, my early forties. So wild. I mean, I think that the 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 self trust element is like really big here because you're like 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 I was saying. I'm like I didn't know. Like maybe did I make it up? Maybe I made it up. So I now I'm not trustworthy. I cannot trust myself. So how on earth can you tr go into the world and trust other people? How has this affected like your romantic relationships? I mean, friendships too, but like primarily romantic relationships because those are the ones that we experience physical intimacy with. Yeah, it's been it's been a real journey, right? And yeah. like, even just. Like you have to, they say that quote, like you have to love yourself and know yourself before you can give love and receive love from another person. That's been a real journey of self-love, of self-respect, of feeling untainted, right? Like now I'm a public figure known for sexual abuse. Like how do you 
think somebody is going to find that sexy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's such a weird thing, right? Because like, for example, like I love, I love sex, right? I just, I literally just hosted a women's sexual health event because I want women to have like amazing sex for their whole lives, you know, and all this stuff. And like, I'm really passionate about that. And you think to your, to my, like, I, I like, I do this to myself in my head where I'm like, well, you had this thing happen, but now you're like an advocate for like great healthy sex. And you know, like how do those things mesh? And I, it's, it's such a weird thing, but like something that I think about Sarah is like not defining myself to any one thing. And I'm not just a survivor of sexual abuse, but in your case, like you develop your life's work to this. Yes. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm a lawyer representing survivors of sexual abuse in civil cases. So it's been really empowering and healing to give, in my mind at least, meaning to what happened to me. Like it happened to me. It was wildly destructive in so many ways. But it's like now I can at least say to myself, well, it happened. And then yeah. it went on to help all these other people. So it didn't happen in vain. And that to me has been really huge um, for my healing big time. But it's also hard too, right? Like I'm living and breathing this all day, every day. Um, and sometimes I get pulled back into that you know, this person had it so much worse than me. Um, I shouldn't be having bad days still. I should have my act together. And I always say, like, people see me now and they're like, we're so happy you're on the other side. You've overcome. When I'm like, no, it's a journey. It's a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. I wouldn't be authentic if I didn't say I don't still struggle and yeah. I still have those bad days. And thinking about it and talking about it can still be hard sometimes. But um, it can also be wildly healing. And I know it's not the right path for everybody to be talking about it all the time. But yeah. for me, it has been very healing. Um, and one thing I wanted to say about you and sobriety, I think about this a lot. You know, when I talk to survivors about how it's affected them, childhood trauma has affected them. There's a laundry list off the top of my head that I can go through of common things. And, you know, alcohol and drugs and numbing and eating disorders and all of that stuff is right at the top of the list um, of, you know, you can never say because A, then B, but it's it's a very common thing for survivors listening to this to have, there, there's a common laundry list of aftermath um, that I think we can all relate to in some way, shape or form. So I'm so glad you're talking about that because we don't need to we don't need to be living in shame at all. You know, it's it's a normal it's a normal repercussion of childhood trauma to suffer with with certain common things. Um, so, you know, Sarah, thank you for saying that. And just for you to give our our listeners some perspective here, like I I just had like a really I had a very emotional morning, right? And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I have to clean this my act up because I have Sarah coming on the show today and I need to like really get zen. But I had a really rough morning, right? Okay, and I'm not saying this to like, woe is me. I'm saying the thought literally crossed my mind. I would love to have a drink. And I said to myself, you don't want a drink. You want you want this pain to stop. You want to like escape. And I, I don't want to drink. I literally do not want to drink. I do not. But I would like to escape the pain. I would like to make the pain stop for a minute. And I have to, I've had to, through the years of my sobriety, find other healthier ways to like make the pain stop, to love myself through the discomfort, to like trust myself to get myself through 
the pain and the discomfort of whatever emotional turmoil I'm experiencing, you know, and that's hard. And so you do see, I, I mean, and, and, you know, fortunately and unfortunately in, in speaking with so many um, sober people working a program, I've had the opportunity to hear that, like, a lot of people have been through this a lot more than, and I say fortunately, unfortunately, I say that because fortunately people are talking about it. Yes. Unfortunate that it has happened, but fortunately people are talking about it and beginning like a healing journey, a journey yeah. towards a better life and like the the release of the shame and and the judgment that that we, I think that we carry in ourselves like through that. And so, you know, we talk about, we, we mentioned you're eight years old. You don't know how, like, you don't know that anything's off sometimes, right? Like your reality is your reality. Like you don't know any different. You're like, this is normal, right? Because I, this is, I've only lived this one life. Like, so this, this, this experience is the way that it is because we don't have anybody to bounce things off of. Like you weren't in your head going to your friends saying, Hey, what did you and Dr. Doctor do? Like while you were in your session, right? Like, I don't know that we're, we're living lives like in that, in that way. So when we're so little, we're, we're just, going through the motions of our lives. And so my next question is like, what what can we do as parents? Like what role can the parents play? Like what are some red flags that we should be looking out for? You mentioned, you know, like any special attention that's being put upon your child, you know, what do you do? Because like there's going to be situations where like, okay, the kid needs extra practice and maybe that's not the case. But like, so as a parent, what do we do? Yeah, it's so hard. And I'm, I'm starting to come up against it with my daughter being eight and wanting to go to play with friends, houses and this. Yeah. And so it's hard. It's a fine line. So the things I say, first and foremost, give your child the appropriate language. Yes. Talk about their vaginas and penises. Do not call it something different. I have a horrifying story of a little girl going to school telling her second or third grade teacher my daddy is eating my cookie and it took several months for the teacher to put that together um she was trying to disclose the teacher was not picking it up because she was not using the word vagina she was using the word cookie so give your child body appropriate language talk about a vagina the same way you talk about an elbow there is no shame in our body parts and if we teach our children about having shame over this or that when somebody touches their vagina they're not going to want to tell you because they're embarrassed or there's some so give them that appropriate language from the get-go another thing is teaching them my daughter knows you're in charge of your own body yeah. So sometimes that works against me when, you know, I'm giving her too many kisses and she's like, I'm in charge of my own body, mom. And I'm like, hey, mom's got to back off, you know. Um, but I just want another hug. I'm like, I'm like, come here, you little guy. You're like, give me a hug. Give me a snuggle. Oh, it's so true. I'm also, you know, and he's like, mom, stop touching me. I'm like, oh. And you have to say yes. You have to say you're right. You are in charge of your own body. I also don't push her to hug anybody. Go hug Uncle so-and-so, you know, and I'll push that physical stuff onto her. Um, and I, when I drop her off for horseback riding, I tell her, remember, you go to the bathroom by yourself. Nobody sees your body but you, you know, you. So I'm always that kind of stuff. Um, but another thing as adults, I think we have a job to project to protect other people's kids too. I don't want to put myself in situations where I'm alone 
with the neighbor's kids, right? I don't have the kids in my house um, because I'm not going to do anything to their kids, but I want to make those kids feel safe and those parents feel safe. Um, So we need to just think about that. I know it gets so hard when we're older. We're driving carpool. We've got you know, other kids, but just as I said, who's the most popular teacher? Who's the most popular coach? Be aware, give your kids the language, talk about this stuff in age appropriate ways and empower them when it comes to their bodies. That's as far as I've gotten. I don't have it all figured out. Um, As a mom, I'm learning more every day, but that's a good starting place at least. One of the things that I always say is like, no secrets, no adult should be asking you to keep a secret. So like, and I've had to have this conversation with teachers, with caretakers, with you know, anybody who comes in contact with my kid because my kids, because like, I don't care if it's like we're getting ice cream, don't tell daddy. No, mommy and daddy talk about everything with each other. Like we're going to talk about everything with each other. There's no secrets. Like, and there's a difference between a surprise. Like the other day, you know, like my kids were prepping something for father's day and at school. And I'm like, what did you, what did you make? And he was like, I'm not going to tell you because it's a, it's a surprise. And I was like so proud of my son because he knows that we don't do secrets. Like it's not a secret. It's a surprise. He's making something from daddy for daddy. I was like, okay, well, I want to know. Like, it's I can help you with the with the surprise. He's like, no, I want to surprise you too with the gift that I'm making for daddy. And I'm like, okay, cool, right? We do not do secrets. This is not our secret. This surprise is not a secret. Daddy's Father's Day gift is not a secret. It's a surprise, and no adult should be asking you to keep a secret. If they're asking you to keep a secret then I think this is a big red flag. And I think that like as adults, we should stop asking kids to keep secrets. 100%. And I do that distinction between surprise and secret all the time. I love that. I think that's so, so important that they learn that. Um, I love that. And you can start that really, really young. You don't have to be 10 years old to talk about that. You can talk about at two, three, four, five. Part of the vocabulary, like just like learning the difference, you know? This conversation is so good, but before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. You mentioned the shame of, of our body parts and there is um, an author, her name is Regina Thomas Hauer, I want to say. I'm going to relook that up because I think I messed it up. But she authored a book called Pussy. Right. And she, in her book, Pussy, it's a, it's a, it's a women's empowerment book. Right. Um, she dives into how, like, we will call it anything but a vagina. <laughs> like, there's like, we are taught as little girls, like, your pee pee, your coochie, your cookie, your all these things by our parents, because like, there's this like weird shame that happens, like, generally, generationally, I think, with women specifically about our vaginas and our, our reproductive body parts, you know, and the fact that they bring us pleasure, like, and all of these things. But like, I don't know that that same shame is put on men and boys when it comes to their body parts. Teaching girls, especially, 
to become comfortable using the word. And then I also want to bring up another book because when I found out I was pregnant with my my son, my first son, and then I found out I was having a second son, I was like, I became really aware of the fact that this happens to boys too. Yeah. Sexual abuse happens to boys also. I think the statistic is that one in three girls and one in five boys. Yeah. So there's a book out there and it's called Raising Boys. And it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty horrifying book. Like, so parents know they talk about like sports culture and what happens in locker rooms and hazing and fraternities and things that happen with coaches. This toxic masculinity doesn't just affect women, right? The toxic patriarchy doesn't just affect women. It affects boys because boys are taught to be tough and not cry. And boys are taught to like that it's gay if if somebody touches you and like you can't speak up because you're not gay and there's some judgment about being gay anyway. And that's a whole other topic of conversation, right? But like boys aren't speaking up because they're scared. Yes. I can't tell you how many cases I have with males who that has been the case. The one statistic I find fascinating that goes back to something we were talking about earlier, the average age of disclosing child sexual abuse, 52 years old. That's that's crazy. And that makes me want to years old. Why? Because they've tried every single thing possible to stuff it down. They've yeah. been in, you know, drugs, alcohol, gone to jail, anger management, eating disorders, withdrawing from the world, anxiety, depression, suicide attempts, suicidal ideations. They've tried it all and they get to 52 years old and it, the body literally can't hold it anymore. And, and that's where they start to reconcile what happened as kids. I have so many cases of men who have tried everything, they, a lot of anger, a lot of rage, um, drugs. Oh, yeah, that's me, like anger and rage 101 right here. Like I've been so angry. Yeah, they get there and they have been hearing this and they finally tell me or tell somebody and say, I want to do something about it now and I want to stop this. But they say, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. We were, you know, Italian, we were whatever. And I, and the priest did this to me or the coach did that or the little league or this or that. And um, I thought I was gay. I literally spent my life thinking I was gay because my first sexual experience was with another man. And again, Nothing wrong with being gay. That's not the conversation we're having. It's about that they, their brains. Self-trust. It comes back to the self-trust. And who you, who they are. And they question everything. And they never find a sense of self. So they try every coping mechanism on for size that they can until they can't take it anymore. All of the things and all of the ways that we can help ourselves and we help to develop our self-trust, I think that coming forward is one of the biggest acts of self-trust that we can commit for ourselves. Yes. And I love what you said about how you're received when you come forward can sort of make or break the healing journey. And when we, I think it's something we can all take in if somebody does disclose something to you or somebody does make an insinuation, it is our job just as as women, as human beings um, to envelop that person with open arms and love um, because it really will have an impact. Um, and why 
don't we just start by believing, you know? Why don't we come from a place of believing somebody? It is fucking hell to come forward. Nobody does it for fun. Nobody does it because it's it going to be great to get that attention. Like it's it's brutal. It's hard. It's the scariest thing we'll ever have to do. So um, well, what was that like for you then? Like because it was very public. Very public. And it was really difficult. You know, when I went into court and I faced Larry Nassar four feet away and read my victim impact statement and looked him in the eyes. Um, I was still a Jane Doe and it was all over the news media and there were cameras in the courtroom and I was an adult. I was a mother at that point. And I said to myself, this goes back to the 80s. This was my ride or die. I love this man. I trusted him. This is between the two of us. This I don't need to have on national television. There might be a time and place for that. But right now we got to talk, you know, and I got that closure. Thank God. But most survivors will never get that closure. Um, And so I'm really, really proud that I got that and I took advantage of that opportunity. But then ESPN calls a couple months later and says, will you accept the 2018 Arthur Ashe Award for Courage live on ABC TV? and put your face behind your story. And they asked me to do it um, and represent all the survivors and accept the award and write my own speech and make the speech. And that's where I had a big decision to make. And at first I said no. And then the executive producer finally got through to me by saying, this isn't about shame or what happened to you or you know that. This is about courage. And this is about that person sitting in their house watching TV and seeing that if you can do it, maybe they can do it too. Well, I think about a lot of it is like having a relatable face. Like, I I don't think I would have gotten sober if I hadn't seen a woman who like looked like me, acted like me, had a kid like me. I was like, oh, she this happened to her. She's an alcoholic. Like she's been living sober for 15 years. I want I want to do that. You know, and I think a lot of it has to do with being relatable and like like giving I think the face to the to the to the story is so important. Yes. And it's crazy. Just yesterday I got a um I got a copy of this book in the mail from Amazon written by um by an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. It's called Not What I Expected. And I read the acknowledgement page. Um, and he said, thank you for being such a lamplighter and trailblazer for so many of us. Your bravery will inspire us forever. He watched the ESPY Awards that night and he came forward and he put his abuser in prison. And this is the story of that. And I got this in the mail yesterday and burst into tears. We, we are people that never would have crossed paths. He's in Utah. I'm not. He's an Orthodox Jewish man. I'm a Catholic woman. You know, we never maybe would have crossed paths. He was watching the ESPYs that night and now his abuser is in prison. And so it's things like that that made it worth it because I could show courage. He could show courage because you could show your beautiful, sober life. Somebody else, you saved lives, Nikki, of people you'll never meet. You saved lives of people watching you on Instagram behind a computer screen. They they don't know you personally. You don't know them personally, and you've saved their lives. Sarah, don't make me cry. It's true. It's true. It's true. And that's why we do 
that's that's why we do what we do. You had a shitty morning this morning. You know, you're vulnerable. You put it out there. You still struggle. I still struggle. But because we're showing the struggle, somebody else's life is being saved. I hope so. That's what I hope. So now that you advocate for and legally represent other survivors of sexual abuse, so do you feel like we met, we talked, we touched on this a little bit, but do you feel re-triggered or desensitized? I think neither one. I think sometimes I, when I start to get those little triggers, I have better coping mechanisms than ever before because I've done the deep dive therapy. I've done the EMDR. I've done all the things. <laughs> um, I still go to therapy. I have two therapists, a regular one and a trauma one. I, you know, I want that stigma to be about mental health to be totally, um, you know, blown to pieces because it should be a conversation. Um, so that when I get triggered, I know better what to do desensitized. I'm, I'm just never desensitized. You know, I'm talking about, I, I have little ones. I can put myself in those shoes, but I think lawyers do get desensitized. And I do think there are a lot of people in this field that are calling themselves sexual abuse lawyers, um, that aren't survivors and don't, you know, know what that's like. And I never want to become desensitized. I want to treat each of my clients as if that's my own story or my child's story. And I think that's what makes me an amazing lawyer. And I want to leave my clients better off than how I found them. And if I'm not doing that, I need to hang it up. (laughs) Then it's time to go. So what are some of the things that you're doing to change the statute of limitations with across the states? Because you're doing this in all of 50 states? Yeah. So yeah. that's such a huge conversation. I mean, what people don't realize is every state has different laws about how old you need to be when you report this. And so I told you the average age is 52. Most states, many states, at that point, you don't have the ability to file a lawsuit anymore because you, the survivor, didn't get your shit together, quote unquote, soon enough. It's like, why put that on the survivor, right? Why put that on the person who was harmed? Why put that on the victim of a, of a crime um, that they only have a certain amount of time to um, come forward? And so I find that crazy. Psychology finds that crazy. Statistics find that crazy. And so we're going state to state, working really hard to get that law changed. In an ideal world, a survivor could come forward any point in their yeah. life and have access to the legal system. And what is it now? It depends what state you're in. For example, um, you know, in the state of Pennsylvania, um, it was 30 years old for civil lawsuits and even even younger for criminal lawsuits. We got it extended to 52 years old, um, which we're really proud of. But in certain states, there is it's there isn't even one and that's an ideal situation but in some states it's 28 in some states it's you know 2 years from when you know it happened so the statutes are really really messed up um and they work for the perpetrator and against um the survivor so what unfortunately it's become like everything else in the world a political fight um, you know, it's become it's become a partisan issue. I don't know how the sexual abuse of a child can be called a partisan issue, but um, the the right wants to protect the Catholic Church, um, and 
make sure, you know, that the church doesn't become bankrupt. You know, the Catholic Church is one of the, the richest entities in the world. Um, and so it becomes a fight about protecting the church. And um, and so it's gotten very ugly in certain states and the amount of money thrown around to protect the entities that have harbored sexual predators for decades is really mind blowing. It comes down to money, power um, and protecting enablers. So this is obviously like that's like a very loaded loaded topic yeah how are you combating all of this i know i know i i talk about anger management you know i've really had to work through that because it is an issue i do take personally um so how do i combat it i just keep my eye on the right thing there is only one right love thing, that and that's protecting kids and so that i've got my eye on that prize and i will keep going and going and going and going the power of like some people will say, well, I don't know how to change the law. I'm just, you know, a stay at home mom or which, by the way, nobody's just a stay at home mom, by the way, hardest job in the world. But, you know, I'm, you know, doing this or whatever. How do I get involved? I don't want to know how to get involved in politics. The power of a voice is so much stronger than any of us realize. You don't have to know how to lobby. You don't have to know. You can pick up the phone and call lawmakers and if you do that enough times, they feel the pressure where they have to do the right thing, right? The power of a voice goes such a long way. The power of a voice on social media goes a long way. Um, doing it with respect, but but really focusing on the right thing is really, um, really important. And so I focus on the right thing. I never stop talking about it. I blast it out. I, I talk about the 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 pedophile protectors every chance I get. And then personally, how do I handle all of this? Um, I don't have an answer for that, Nikki. I keep listening to your show and other shows and other people who have ideas about how to how to work through the hard stuff and how we as women, as moms do hard things. Um, I'm not an expert on that. I don't know. And I still slip up and I still have that glass of wine and I still get pissed off and I still cry and I, you know, I'm just, I'm still figuring out how to do hard things. <laughs> I think a part of it is like allowing ourselves to be loved through the process, showing ourselves grace, removing ourselves from situations and people who don't show us grace. Yes. Um, who won't help us on our journey to healing, but actually like do damage yeah, through the healing journey. Wow, I think like being able to spot that and to learn the self trust element, no matter what it takes to develop that self trust, so that you can put yourselves in and remove yourselves from situations that no longer serve you, so that you be can become like a better version of yourself. And that doesn't like we. I think we mentioned it earlier, like. Are you ever fully healed? I don't know. I don't think so. I think, you know, like your perspective of experiences changes over time. Like my, just like my perspective of what happened when I was five changed. Like I, I had one, I thought it was a certain way when I was five years old. And then when I was 15 years old, I was thinking about what happened when I was five, a certain way. And then when I was 25 years old, I was thinking about what happened in a different way, you know? And like 
as I continue to grow and get older and learn about life, like I view my situations differently. Like I might feel differently about my situation when I'm 45 and 55 than I did now at 36. Yep. Yep. And like just allowing myself to, to embrace it and see it that way and accept it and heal from it in the ways that I can, you know, hopefully that they, they continue to be healthy ways. Yes. For myself and for all of the people listening and for all of the people who've experienced this. Yes, totally agree. And I suppose that's what they call the journey of life, right? We, we just keep walking the path and choosing the next right thing um, and hopefully coming back to ourselves in healthy ways and moving through it and growing with wisdom, with perspective, um, and with people who love and support us unconditionally. That's, I guess, a life well-lived Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time, for your vulnerability. Thank you for your courage. I mean, that award, I mean, you received it, what, in 2018? Yes, yes, yeah. You receive it every day. Like, just so you know, like, that's an award that you receive every day for the work that you're doing, for the voice that you have, for the voice that you're giving other people, for the courage that you're, you're like, you're. it's a trickle-down effect to your courage. So thank you so much for everything that you do, and thank you for taking the time to be a guest on the show today. Right back at you, Nikki. Thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. 